Well, hey, uh, let me welcome you. If, if, if I haven't met you, my name is Brandon, and uh, I'd love to have a chance to chat with you. Uh, if this is your first or second or hand, you know, first handful of times being here, uh, I would just say we're so glad that you're here, so glad that, that uh, you, you, you thought this was a, a worthwhile use of your time to, to meet together, to worship our God uh, with us, with this body of believers. And so uh, let, let me just very formally welcome you, say we're so glad that you're here. Um, we are, I, man, Gary, I just, I love, I love your amens. Um, just, it's my hype man over there. Um, no, the Lord's hype man. How about that? Um, so, uh, we are in the book of John. We've been in a series in John. And, uh, so I'm going to invite you, uh, go ahead and start turning there. John chapter six. Uh, we've been in John for some time now. Uh, it's been a great book. It's been uh, really a joy to be in this book. And uh, as, as JT has said, this is really, um, in, in many regards, um, the, the four Gospels are, are, are just really loaded with uh, so much. But this is just uh, so much of Christ. But, but man, we, just, we see so much rich language um, and, and symbolism and all of these things that are, that are said about Jesus and said by Jesus. And so uh, it's it just, and, and today's going to be no different. We're going to see Jesus say some really bold and some, some really hard things, and we have to figure out what that means, um, just in the same way that the hearers had to do that when he said it in his day. Uh, they, they heard these things, uh, they declared these things as hard to hear and hard to understand, uh, and we're going to look at those today uh, and see what it is that we are to take away from those words of Christ and apply to our own lives. Because that's the thing, church, I want you to understand that we are here this morning absolutely to, to give glory and to give honor to our God and to sing the songs that you sing. They, they aren't for anyone except for God, and so sing your songs unto him, pray your prayers unto him. We read the scriptures, we, we preach the scriptures all to the glory of God. But um, also just, just know that, that we, we, we gather, um, I lost my train of thought, I don't know where I was going. Oh well. Um, anyways, uh, let, let, me, let me ask you again, go ahead and open up to, to the book of John chapter 6. Let me give you some context. We need to back up just a little bit from, we're going to be in verse 49 through 59. I don't know if I said that. Uh, John chapter 6, verse 49 through 59. Uh, but let me back up so that we can, we can give some context, so we can lay some groundwork. Okay, several weeks ago, uh, about six weeks ago, we looked at the beginning of chapter 6, where we saw the account of, of Jesus feeding the multitude of people with just a few pieces of bread and fish. Do you remember that? He multiplies a few pieces of bread and fish from a small boy, and he, he feeds thousands of people in a, in a very miraculous way. And the crowd responded in a very particular way, right? They, they responded in awe, as I think was right to do so, because Jesus did this miraculous thing. They respond in awe, and, and what do they want to do? They want to make him king. They want to declare Jesus as king. Jesus obviously doesn't want this, so he, 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 he gets himself out of, of that situation, or retreats uh, to, to pray. But then the next day we see the crowd follows him, and they begin to ask questions of him. And, and Jesus responds to these, these questions in verse 26 by saying that 
You're, you're seeking me, not because you saw the signs that I did, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, because, because you got the bread from me. That's why, that's why you're seeking me and asking me these questions. And he goes on to say, but the, the food that endures to eternal life, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. I missed the part. Do not work for the food that perishes. So he's saying, don't, don't just strive for the, the, the physical bread that I gave you to eat. Understand that while that's good, and we're going to talk about that here in a little bit, just as we draw connections back to Exodus with the manna that was provided in the wilderness. Jesus says, don't work for the food that perishes, but work for the food that endures to eternal life, which is the Son of Man, which the Son of Man will give you. I want you to remember that statement. Right? The, the, the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Remember that statement because it's going to be very, very important as we move forward in this text. The people around Jesus were seeking Jesus, as, as we have touched on throughout this series, really only for their, their own physical benefit. Right? They, they, they wanted to continue to receive these things that, that Jesus physically provided for them, the, the physical needs that, that he met, when instead they, they should have been seeking him because of, of, yes, the miraculous signs that he was doing, but because those miraculous signs pointed to who he was, pointed to his identity, his, his divine nature as the Christ. So rather than, than just wanting the things that he gave, he, he desired for them to, to want who, who he was, the Messiah, in, through the things that he gave. But like I said, as, as we have seen and shared time and time again through this series, it seems like the, the people just completely miss it. They continue to completely miss it. And instead, they, they ask Jesus for more signs. Can you give us more signs? By what signs do you do so that we'll know that you are who you say that you are? In verse 30, they ask him that very question. What sign do you do that we may see and believe in you? As if he hasn't done enough. They want their needs to continue to be met. They go on to say, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, right? And the, the, the story of the Exodus, where the Israelites are, are leaving Egypt, they're out in the wilderness, and God provides manna from heaven for them to eat. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So essentially, they're, they're asking him, we're not going to read through this text because it's the text that we were in last week, but they're, they're asking Jesus how he compares to Moses. Right, because they think that it was Moses who provided the bread for them in the wilderness. Jesus informs them that it, it wasn't Moses who provided, it was the Lord who provided, and it's the Lord who now provides a, a new type of bread from heaven in the form of Christ. Jesus is the living bread come down from heaven, which we're about to see in the text when we read it. He is the true bread. Provided by the Father, the same God who provided the manna in the wilderness. And so Jesus is he's drawing from something that the people know. They, they know about bread. They know about the story of the manna being provided in the wilderness. And so Jesus is, is taking this in order to, to teach a greater spiritual truth. 
Right? If, if you remember, he, he did this very thing with the, the Samaritan woman at the well, did he not? He meets this woman at the well. He's thirsty. She's coming for water. And what does he ask her for? Water. He asks for a drink of water. And this sparks up a conversation, ultimately leading to Jesus telling this woman about the living water, that if she drank of the living water, she would never thirst again. She would have life eternal. So obviously, Jesus isn't talking about water, but he's using it as a means. In the same way here with the bread, he's using it as a, a means to point to some greater spiritual truth. He points... In, in, in all of this, he, he's doing something really significant, I think, that I don't want us to miss. And so we're going to spend just a little bit of time here before we get in, into the text. Jesus, in, in making these declarations about himself as the living water and as the, the living bread come down from heaven, he is declaring something. He is declaring his preexistence, his eternality, that he has always been. All right, let me show you. Why I think that is. Look at, look at, we're going to just, we're going to jump through a couple of verses really fast. Okay, because Jesus is going to point to his pre-existence numerous times in the next 20 or so verses. So I want to start in verse 33. So if you have your Bibles open, look at verse 33. We're going to go through these pretty quick though. So stay with me. John chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus says, the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. That's him. He's talking about himself. He is the bread of God who has come down from heaven, meaning he was in heaven. He was in the glory of heaven prior. Verse 38, he says, I have come down from heaven to do the will of him who sent me, that being the Father. Verse 41, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except the one who is from God himself. He has seen the Father. Verse 50, this is the bread, speaking of himself, that comes down from heaven. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Makes it clear right there. Verse 57, as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. He was sent by the Father from somewhere, obviously, the, the glory of heaven. Verse 58, and this is the last one. This is the bread, speaking again of himself, that came down from heaven. So this phrase, I don't want you to miss it, because it, it, it happens a lot in this passage of Scripture that we're about to read. This is the bread which came down from heaven. It's repeated again and again. And every time you hear that, I, I want you to know you are, you are hearing an affirming statement from Jesus about his preexistence, about his eternality, about his divine nature. So when he says that he is this living bread come down from heaven, he is making such a, a bigger statement than we could, like we, I think, at least I'll speak for myself, I, I've so conditioned myself from hearing the kind of language that, that we use in church, Jesus is the bread of life, he's, he's living water, I, I, I believe those things, but I hear them so frequently that they kind of lose a little bit of their power. Um, not, li not in a literal sense, but, but, but as far as how I receive them. So I want you to know, like, the statement that Jesus is making, it is huge. It is significant. It is other, literally otherworldly. 
Because he is the only one who has seen heaven and been able to speak of it. He is the only one who has seen the Father, who knows the Father, and is now able to speak of it. And so when that person says, I am the bread that comes down from heaven, from the Father, it is significant. And he says, if you eat of this bread, you will live forever. No one else can say that. And I, I, I'll tell you this too, all of those books that are out there in the Christian bookstores about someone dying and going to heaven and then coming back to tell us about it, like uh, heaven is for real, those books are lies and you should not read them. God, in, in the form of Jesus Christ, is the only one who gets the honor of saying, I have seen the glories of heaven, I have seen the Father, and I have come down. No one else can do that. Even Paul, who was allowed to see heaven, did he tell us what he saw? No. He either couldn't or he wouldn't. He, he, he didn't tell us the things that he saw. He didn't speak about any of them. So what I want you to take away from that is that, that Jesus didn't come into existence. He has always been. Amen? He has always been. How did, how did this letter that John wrote, this gospel, how did it begin? The, verse, the first four, four verses, if I could speak, first four verses of chapter one. It says, in the beginning was the Word. Capital W, that's a title, that's Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things that were made were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. He came down from heaven. So don't miss the significance of this. It's no small claim at all for Jesus to make this claim. And so as I was preparing this, I, I, I remembered uh, something that I read and, and have heard so many different times, but, but something that was, was penned by, by C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. Uh, when he says that anyone who claims the types of things that Jesus claimed, and maybe you'll be familiar with this, he is either a lunatic, a liar, or the Lord. Here's what Lewis said. He said, a man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. So when Jesus makes these types of claims, he's saying, I am God. I am, the, I am come down from heaven. No one else can say these things. No one else can do the things that I do. And I know that that may be familiar to, to many of you. But that doesn't mean that you don't need to hear it and be reminded in the same way that I do before we go to the text and see the things that Jesus is about to say. John chapter 6, 
Starting in verse 49. Actually, let's start in 48. We'll go through 59. <clears throat> this is the reading of God's word. It says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So what do you think about that? Some crazy language. Can we, I mean, are we willing to admit that? Eating of Jesus' flesh and drinking his blood. That's wild. That's wild for us today. It would have been especially wild for his hearers to hear that when he said it. The bread that the Jews had in mind was, was similar to that of the manna that was provided in the wilderness. But, but the bread that Jesus gives is in himself, and it's, it's his flesh. What, what are we to, to do with that? His, his statement combines together both a, a physical and a spiritual truth, right? That, that we, we do indeed need sustenance from physical food. We do need to eat real bread. It does give us life. It, it, it prolongs our life. You know, if, if we don't eat, eventually we will die. But, but also, the, the, the Israelites who were in the wilderness who ate the manna, they, they, they did eventually die. So they didn't have eternal life. But, but Jesus is using this to say, I will also provide you. I've provided you with physical bread. Now allow me to provide you with the spiritual bread, the bread from heaven in and of myself. The true living bread. That, that those who, meaning that, that, that those who believe in him have their spiritual hunger satisfied. Those who ate the bread in the wilderness, that, that was a physical hunger that was, that was satisfied. And it's important, but, but as I said, they, they died. They didn't have, the, the, the manna that was provided in the wilderness didn't provide eternal life. But Jesus provides eternal, spiritually satisfying bread by sacrificing his own physical body on the cross. He makes it clear that, that anyone who eats of this bread, 
They will live forever. So, so this is quite a, a shift for his hearers when they hear these things. They're having a hard time connecting the dots. He says the bread that he gives for the life of the world is his flesh. So looking back at, at verses 52 and 53, the Jews then disputed among themselves. They were arguing. They were upset. Why? They say, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Not literally how, but how dare he suggest. They take him literally. This is, a, this is another example of people misunderstanding the words of Christ. They think that he means it literally. But what does Jesus do? Let's look at the next verse. Right? Rather than clarify his statement, it looks like he doubles down. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, church, please hear me really clearly right here. Um, and and I'm, I'm going to make the assumption that most people know this, but it has to be said. Jesus is in no way teaching or suggesting or commanding that we literally eat and drink the flesh and the blood, um, that, that we uh, resort to, to, to cannibalism. He isn't saying things to, to be understood literally. But as he's done so frequently throughout the Gospels, uh, he is here again speaking in, in physical terms. He takes something that we know, that we can see, that we can touch from this world to teach us about spiritual realities. He's te he teaches, we see in all of this, the, the, the Gospels, in, in parables. And, and people, the, even the disciples themselves who spent the most amount of time with him come to him like, Jesus, what, what did that mean? You said this thing, I don't understand. So Jesus takes these, these physical terms from the world to teach about spiritual realities. And so eating Jesus' flesh has, understand, this spiritual meaning, that, that we are to trust and to believe in him, especially in his death for the sins of all mankind. In his flesh that he, he sacrificed, that he gave up on the cross, that was beaten and spit upon. He gave his, his physical body and died for the sins of mankind. And in the same way, when we talk about drinking his blood, it means to trust in the atoning sacrifice of his blood. Right? I, I understand within Christianity we use some strange language that says like, that you know, we've been washed by the blood of Jesus and now we are white as snow, we are spotless, we are without sin. That's strange language, I'm willing to admit. We know what it means, but this is essentially what he's saying. I'm, he knows he's going to the cross. And so to say, to, to drink of his blood, to trust in the atoning sacrifice, that, that his blood that was shed for, for us, for our sin, so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be redeemed, so that we could be united with God the Father. It's represented in the shedding of his blood. I'll, I'll say real quickly, I don't think Jesus is specifically speaking about the, the Eucharist, which is a term that I, I put out there a few weeks ago, but the Lord's Supper, communion. 
Right? I don't think he, he is specifically speaking about that here, but I, I certainly do think there's a parallel theme that we, can't, we cannot ignore. All right? So I, I only say that because I know oftentimes in the church and in much of the things that I've read, people often think like, this is, this is Jesus talking about the Lord's Supper right here. But, but he's not because it hasn't happened yet. But by all means, please do see a parallel theme there because it is there. Because we, we do receive eternal life through being united with the Son of Man. And it's represented in the Lord's Supper, right? We, we, that we, we take symbolically that the bread symbolizes his body and, and the cup symbolizes his blood. And certainly, those who came 20, 30, 100 years later, when they read these words, they, they would have made that connection. I have no doubt, it, I, because I think the parallel is that strong. But Jesus says he provides the bread that leads to eternal life. But I, I want us to, to notice something, that, that Jesus doesn't just provide the bread. He, he isn't just handing he isn't just the source of provision of bread. He, he is the bread. His body is the bread. He is the very bread of life that has come down from heaven. He says, I am the bread of life. He didn't say, I have the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And this is the first of several I am statements that he's going to make in the letter by John. And each one of those, I want you to understand, are very much reminiscent of the language that, that the Lord used in his encounter with Moses in Exodus, the burning bush that wasn't consumed. Who did God say that he was? I am. And now Jesus is going to make several I am statements. He is making a declaration. He is saying, I am from the Father. I and the Father are one. So here, here I think is the... the the obvious question we have to ask then is, we, we know what this bread is. We, we know what it does. How do we acquire it? How do we acquire this bread, this life-giving bread? The, the only thing, the only work, the only effort that guarantees the, the possession of this bread is, is to believe in Jesus Christ as the, the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world, as the one and only means to the Father, the only, only one who could pay for the penalty of sin, the only one who could wipe the slate clean. Jesus said, no, no man can come to the Father except by me. There are no multiple roads to God. There's one, and it's Jesus. And that belief that declaration of, of belief and walking that out in faith, that is how essentially we acquire that bread. But as JT shared last week, this, this isn't accomplished by, by any notion of, of legalism or, or works-based righteousness before God. What does that mean? That, that means that we, we cannot earn we, we, we cannot seek this salvation. We, we merely receive it. As the free gift of grace that it is, we, we receive it. Jesus states in verse 37 
All that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives me, he says. So, so we, don't, we don't come to the realization of our need for Christ apart from, from God's divine intervention, church. Prior to our, our redemption, we need to understand we are, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. The only possible thing that, 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 that we bring to Jesus is, is our need of him. All, right, all, all, we, all we have to offer to Jesus is the admission that, that we have nothing to offer. And the, the Puritan pastor, John Owen, I think said it best when he said, the only thing that I contribute to my salvation is the sin that made it necessary. And so verse 44 makes this clear. It says, it says, no one can come to the Father. No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. And I, I want to point out quickly before we move on that the, the Greek literally reads to be able. No, no, one, no one is able to, to come to the Father. No human being in this world on his own has the moral or spiritual ability to come to Christ unless God the Father gives him the desire and the ability to do so. And so all of this is going to come together in a moment. This, this explains why Jesus said in verse 36, you have seen me and yet you do not believe in me. He says to the crowd, you, you, you have seen me, but, but you don't believe in me. And that word seen in the Greek, it means to perceive or to discern. So, so understand what that means. The, the, the people were able to, to, to see, to discern, to apprehend with their mind what Jesus was doing and what he was saying about himself. They could apprehend it, but they couldn't comprehend it. They couldn't digest it. it. It it didn't take root in their heart, in their spirit, right? It it didn't make that drop that we sometimes talk about from our head to our heart. They saw Jesus. They they perceived. They discerned who Jesus was, but yet they did not believe. They couldn't comprehend it. And to this point, um, Pastor John MacArthur said something that I thought is is perfect. You, you can believe in Jesus. You can believe in his preexistence. You can believe that he is the son of God who came into the world. And you can believe that he is the source of eternal life. But unless you believe in his sacrificial death, you cannot be saved. You cannot possess eternal life. So we can perceive who Jesus is. We can see him but not know him. And this is what he's, he's saying to, to, to these people in the crowd. And then he says, you have to eat his flesh and, and you have to, to drink his blood in order to have eternal life. As I said earlier, the, the Jews would have been outraged by this. They would have been appalled. They, they, they would have been angered. 
right? Because the law of Moses forbade the consumption of, of blood. You couldn't even eat meat that still had blood in it. And as I've already stated, Jesus wasn't suggesting that, that, that you literally eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. So they miss the symbolic language that he's using. And oftentimes, the most symbolic reference of blood in the scriptures is that of sacrificial death. Uh, uh, many of the times in scripture, when the, the symbolic language of, of the spilling of blood is, is used, or, or blood in general, it is most oftentimes used in relation to that of sacrificial death. So to eat Jesus' flesh has the meaning of, of believing and trusting in his death for the sins of mankind. In the same way, to drink of his blood means to trust in that atoning work of the blood that was shed, which is represented in the blood that, that he spilled out of his own body. So all of this is just to, to bring it all together. Why did Jesus say this? Why did Jesus say this hard thing for people? And then when they pushed him on it, he didn't correct he didn't clarify. He doubled down. He made it even harder to hear and harder to, to understand. Why did he say it? Wouldn't there, wouldn't there have been a better way to say it? If he wanted the people to understand, wouldn't, wouldn't there have been a better way? Not to take anything away from our Christ, but I think, yeah, absolutely. There would have been a better way to say it. Just tell him like, what I'm saying from up here. Like, this is what it means. Now, instead, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. They're hard words to hear. Hard, hard for them to hear. Hard for us to, to hear. And we know that they felt that way, right? We're, if you, if you were to look at verse 60, right, that's next week, so I, 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 can't, I can't spend too much time here. But if you were to look at verse 60, it says, these are hard things to hear. Jesus, I think, is, is very intentionally using these words because these are people who are following him. Why? for provision, for bread, for miracles. And Jesus says to them, what? You've seen me, you've perceived me, but, but you, don't, you don't know me. So I, I think that Jesus is, he's, he's thinning the herd a little bit, if you will. This crowd that's following him, he's blowing off the chaff, if you will, by saying something hard saying something that he, he knew people wouldn't rightly perceive and, and would be offended by it and to leave him. I mean, I'll just read it to you. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And I can't help but read more. Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? So he knew that people took offense to what he said. Then what if 
you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before. It goes on to, to say, are, are you two going to leave? And, and Peter responds with, Lord, you have, you have the words of life. Where are we going to go? I think, and this is purely just me, like looking through the, the, the cracks, like just making assumptions. I think Peter, he probably didn't understand what Jesus was saying either. But he's like, where? I've seen, like, again, this is, this is me, like, in my mind, putting it all together. Jesus, or Peter has seen him, and he knows him. I don't understand what you just said, but where am I going to go? Who am I going to follow? You have the words of life. You are the bread of life. So understand, whoever feeds on his flesh and drinks on his blood, symbolically, has eternal life and will be raised with him on the last day. That is the future hope and future glory, church, that we have as redeemed saints, heirs to the throne of Jesus Christ. This is true belief in Jesus, which, which is truly trusting in his, his death on the cross. His cruci the crucifixion of his, his flesh, that he paid for sin, that he rose from the grave, that he ascended to heaven and now sits at the right hand of God. Hear me, you, you have to believe this or you don't have eternal life. This is faith in Christ, not just he's some good moral teacher, not that, that he just loved everyone and provided for everyone all of the time and never thought of all, all of these conjured up ideas about who we think that Jesus is. This is who Jesus is, saying hard things, thinning out the crowd, saying you have to believe this or you're not of me. And if you see me, then 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 know me. My sheep, they hear my voice. They know my voice. They are of me. So follow Jesus. Declare these things in the way that you live. And, and when you go to your jobs, when you are in your homes, in your neighborhoods, when you are out at doing recreation, you're going to the lake, you're on your boat, whatever you're doing, this should absolutely invade and infect and take over absolutely every part of your life. This is who Jesus is. He's, he's, he's not saying some small thing, church. I've come down from heaven to do this. Believe in me. So we have to trust this in order to, to be united to him. And it's, it's that faith, that, that belief that, that brings us into a new I guess, relationship, if you will, with the Father. Right? The, the, we're brought into the new covenant of, of the blood of Jesus. And so understand something. Un, unlike the manna in the wilderness that the people asked for, the, the, the crowd asked for this, this same type of, of food, this bread from, from Jesus. This is true food and true drink that Jesus provides that, that never ceases to give spiritual nourishment for life. He says, whoever, whoever eats and drinks of that will, will abide in Christ, will abide in me, and, and he in them forever. That means that, that Christ remains in, in us. He's, he is united with us. He identifies himself with us. 
and, and I want you to, to not miss that that is expressed in several ways in his help, in his, in his provisions, the, the, the ways that, that he blesses us and gives us life, both physically and spiritually, the presence of and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is all of what is provided in having our identity with Christ. And he in us, we abide in him. And so then to, to wrap it up in verse 57 through 59. Jesus says, as the living father sent me, and I live because of the father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So Jesus is, is, is using, oh, I guess John rather, um, we have this literary device that's called an inclusio, which is basically he's restating at the end of this passage the very same thing that he started with. He said these, these very same words in verses 48 through 50, he says, I am the bread of life, that your, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. So again, Jesus says he's sent by the Father. He, he lives because of the Father and whoever feeds on him will also have life. So real quickly, I just I want to point this out. Jesus having life in the Father doesn't mean that, that he isn't eternal, that he isn't pre-existent. It means that, that he has the same, he, he is that same source of life just as the Father is. God, the Father, has life in and of himself. He is life, right? We have physical life in us because someone else before us gave us physical life. But we, are, we don't have life in and of itself inside of us, if that makes sense. We are not, we, we are not a, the source of life. God the Father is. And, and Jesus is saying that, that I, I'm the same. So to, to bring this home, really... Um, I know I've made it clear, but I, 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 want, you, I want you to catch this because I don't know where everyone is in this room um, in relation to God, if, if you are, are in Christ or not. I know many of you are. Praise God for that. But, but all of these things that I've, I've said from this passage, um, this is a, a belief that we have to come to by faith. Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't make sense otherwise, does it? I mean... The, the cross is folly to those who are perishing. It doesn't make sense. It, it, doesn't, it, it, it doesn't compute. So we have to come to it by faith. And, and, and it's, it's a belief that we have to continue in faith. And I, I think we need to understand that, that, that Jesus didn't intend to and intend for us to, to come to him in faith just, just the one time. 
And I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we have to be saved again and again and again. Uh, I'm saying that we, we continually come to Christ in faith, believing these things that he said, these hard things that he said. We continue to come to him in faith. We continue to seek to, to work out our own salvation in, with fear and trembling. And that, that means, church, actively pursuing obedience as a process of sanctification. Because, listen, no one in this room, myself included, myself foremost, is without sin. We are not perfect. We have been bought by the blood of Christ. We are guiltless before God, but we still commit acts of sin. We are still putting that old man to death daily. So we actively pursue obedience as a means of sanctification. We, we work out our salvation. This, this thing that, that Jesus is saying he provides in this passage, we, we work that out by going to the very source of salvation, which is Christ, which is the, the, the word, capital W, the word of God, Christ himself. And it's there that he, he will renew our hearts and our minds, that we will grow in, in the likeness of him, we will grow in righteousness. We will honor God with our lives. And we will, we will come into his presence with, with reverence and awe. So I'll, I'll close with this. As I've already stated, I know, I know many of us in here, we would say, and I, and I believe Truthfully, we would say that, that we know Christ, that we are in Christ. And amen. Praise God. Um, and maybe some of you aren't. I, I don't know. But I know that, that these are words that we should respond to regardless of where we are. We, we ought not to take our eyes off of Jesus, but what we do. We get distracted by the things of this world and all the, the, the hustle and the bustle about just day-to-day -day life, and, and we forget sometimes, or at least maybe I'm the only one confessing this to you, that we forget these words that Jesus says and, and, and to apply them to our lives. So whether you are in Christ or not this morning, if, if you are not, by all means, let me say this first and foremost, respond today. You have absolutely no idea. This isn't me trying to scare the hell out of you, and I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not trying to scare you into heaven. I want you to know this Jesus who I just read about to you and who I believe is everything that he says that he is because there is no other way to the Father except by him. So come and confess your sin. Repent of your sin. Declare your belief in him. And, and walk in newness of life. So if that's you today, I invite you. We're going to sing in a minute. Come, respond. For the rest of us, just take the time just to, to thank God that he gave us his son as our savior, this bread of life that we can, we can feed upon and live eternally. Amen? Let me pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you. We thank you so much for the truth of your word. As hard as these words may be to hear and to understand and to apply to our lives, we confess that they are true. They are completely true. 
And I ask that we would be people, every single one of us, that you would make us people who so strongly desire to take these words and, and apply them to our lives, to live these things out daily, that we, we would be so strongly led by our Savior in, in everything that we do. So as, as we sing songs of, of praise and thanksgiving unto you, Lord, I just ask that your, your Spirit would come and stir our hearts that we would offer up praise to you, that we would offer up confession of sin if necessary, or that, that we would declare to you that, that we are, in fact, dead in, in our trespasses and sins and without hope, and we, we come to you, Lord, to, to say, I, I believe and declare in faith, I repent of my sins and confess Jesus Christ to be my Savior so that I can have this bread and I can have eternal life in you. Father, we love you. We, we thank you. We just ask all of this in, in our precious Savior's name. Amen.